The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Patria Vandermark. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How you doing, Patria? I hear it's raining over your way. It is. Today is a deluge. Ooh. So it is a wonderful day to be podcasting and talking about cycling from inside. <laughs> yes. how, how are you doing? Just fine. Uh, we had some rain here last week and then things started drying out just fine. And so I got some really great mountain bike rides in Saturday and Sunday. And uh, today's uh, while it's beautiful outside, it's a day where my legs are like, um, if you want to get on the bike, can we just do a recovery ride? Because uh, they're, they're tired from the last two days. <laughs> That's a great feeling to have. It is nice. It is really nice. And I got to take uh, a friend out on the Gianni trails on Sunday and introduce him to them. He'd never seen him before and had been hearing stories. And uh, he was super enthused. We had the best time. It's so fun to see that place through new eyes, you know, the fresh eyes of someone who's new to it. Uh, I really, I really enjoyed that experience of sharing that place. So it was a an especially nice Sunday from, for that reason. Well, that's <laughs> terrific. Glad you got to do that. I got yeah. to go out on a night ride last night. Oh, it was a full one hour ride. And it's the first time I got to see a bike in a week and a half. So that felt really good too. It wasn't big, but it was really quality time out there. Nice. Nice. Uh, and I don't recall what phase of the moon are we in currently? Is it close to foolish? It's getting there. Yeah, we have, I think, nine days left until mm-hmm. the next full moon. So okay. we'll be doing a night ride for that. So that's something to look forward to. I had someone email me today saying that he's looking forward to being out there. So yeah, it's it's neat to think of your riding life and the full moon connected to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm Okay, I envy you that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just crossing my fingers. Everything's frozen at that point. Mm. Is right now having the rain and it looks like a week of rain right now, rain on Thanksgiving, which would be a shame because, of course, a lot of people look forward to a early morning Thanksgiving ride pre turkey and feasting. Yep. So we'll certainly cross our fingers that the weather gets colder Mm. because in between in between is not useful, at least (laughs) in my my humble opinion. I don't like the in between weather. I like it to be warm and dry cold and icy or dry or whatever it wants to be snowy it all works yeah yeah i hear you oh well hey what do you have for your pull this week well first i'm going to start because you're speaking of thanksgiving and this is always a nice time to take a quick step back and to be thankful which there's so much to be thankful for right now and the things that we've ta- uh, somewhat taken for granted in normal times I think are really becoming much more obviously things that we appreciate, such as our community, our our communities in general, our friends, our families. And I always step back to the cycling community, which has been a really big part of my life. And just the many, many wonderful people who are part of the cycling community. So I'm definitely taking a, a moment to thank everyone who is part of that community who are near and far the community at this point extends across the world to Mm. many countries. I've worked with people in New Zealand and Spain. I'm thinking off the top of my head, California. Oh wait, that's the U (laughs) (laughs) S not everyone Um, agrees with that, but please continue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's just really need to take a step back and think, when you post an Instagram or, or you had this sort of conversation and you hear from someone who's halfway across the world 
and you realize you know that person from cycling from something you you had a bike ride and that connected you in a way that you will forever be connected and that's that's just really 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 nice so i i i really appreciate that and want to say hello to everyone out there in the whole world and and hopefully people can be with their families and friends and of course our authorities are not are discouraging that in a lot of ways depending on who's part of whose covid circles so as long as people can be together in spirit we will all be together physically hopefully not too long from now with the coming vaccines yeah yeah amen to that right yeah cool so now stepping into we had a very nice comment we've had quite a few comments and i think everyone who's making comments out there on the ride pages and the Facebook pages for these uh, podcasts. There's a gentleman who lives in Albany who is wanting to commute this year for health fitness because he's not going to be going to his gym this winter. And this is certainly mimicking a lot of what I'm hearing from a lot of people. They're a little concerned about going to the gym while COVID is a thing. So this particular person is commuting a little over 11 miles each way. And is interested in knowing what kind of bike and equipment, winter maintenance, all those sorts of things where it comes to a winter commuting bike and situation. So I'm going to address the route selection, bike and equipment choices, and bike maintenance. This is a fairly high level, but hopefully it gets everyone into that thinking who is considering commuting in a winter climate. So this might not pertain as much to people in the warm climates or say to you, Patrick. (laughs) so the route choice really what you have to think about is in the winter it's the black ice is the number one concern and that's at the the core of everything i'm going to be talking about is that the ice which is the dangerous part of Mm -hmm. of commuting and that applies to cars as well as bikes cars don't have studded tires you as a cyclist you can have studded tires so you will have more traction than the cars you're riding there. So preferably you want to be off of main roads where cars are traveling more quickly. Black ice can be anywhere. So as much as you can avoid being near cars, great. That's better. Try to ride through neighborhoods, side streets. See if you can find trails. Because there's a very good chance there are some trails that you just don't know about that you might be able to uh, hook up to and then have it weave you behind and it might take you a little further out of your way but for staying away from cars and safety that's that's important i would suggest checking out heat maps on strava and now mm. heat maps have been added to ride with gps.com as well so these are two really good resources to see where other people are riding and there's probably some roads or trails out there that might show up there you don't know exist do be careful some of those roads and trails may be off limits even though they're being ridden or walked or who knows what they might not actually be illegal for a thoroughfare so just just be aware of that and then consider where the sun is when you're traveling both directions and the time of day again traffic patterns how many cars there are out there but where's the sun because sun glare is really tough it makes it hard to see and there have been lots of opportunities to not see someone. And I'm sure you've had this experience. You, you leave your house too quickly. Your windshield is not defrosted as a driver. And you can't see very well with that sun in your eyes. So as a cyclist, are the cars going to be able to see you? Uh, lights make you more visible in the dark. So you, the, light, the brighter the lights, the better. Of course, you don't want to blind oncoming traffic especially if you have to take a bike path. So be, be conscious of that, not to shine your light up too much for your headlight. But that really helps your visibility. And a lot of ways, I, see, I feel like you are more visible in the dark because of lights than you are in the daylight, or especially with a rising or a setting sun. So do consider that as you're, you're making your, your choices That's one of the really strange things about lighting is that, you know, at, at midnight, you know, you can do an awful lot with a 100 lumens light, 
Whereas at dusk, you need a much more powerful light to overcome those those conditions. That was one of the things I learned that really surprised me when we were testing lights years and years ago was that uh, it was most important to have the most powerful light if you weren't actually riding in full dark, uh, making it punch through. Yeah, uh, that was that was a real lesson. And then, of course, the other problem is like you've got to have a light that's powerful enough for the speed you're going Uh, a a 200 lumen uh lumens light uh can be reasonably easily outrun <laughs> <laughs> yes it is right that's to me in my my opinion that's way too low and some people just want to have a light to be seen if you have street lights and that sort of thing just go with a higher power light and yeah. we've discussed this in previous shows they're really inexpensive and they are that important to your safety so invest more in lights because of their importance and yeah, maybe you can time your ride so that you're riding before the sun rises and after the sun sets, which unfortunately for the length of days people are working and the sun is setting so early, that's entirely possible. Well, and being as far north as, you know, our listener, Tom in Albany, uh, Albany is, you know, fairly far north like Boston. So your days are noticeably shorter than mine. Oh, that's a good point. Another another plus for living where you do. And we'll try to use that on the plus category for us as well. (laughs) Fair enough. So talking about the bike and equipment choice. So Tom is looking at an older cross bike or a full suspension mountain bike. Which one is he going to choose between? Fundamentally, we're looking at the best winter bike being the one that takes the biggest possible studded tires. And one that can be introduced to the harshness of the winter, such that it has the equipment it needs. So I'll go, I'll go into this. The biggest studded tires is the most important thing because studded tires are the most important thing. Staying up on the ice, number one. A performance bike that you have, you probably want to keep that in the closet. You could save that for the spring. It likely doesn't have the tire clearances, and it's also probably a stiff bike, so it would have a harder time sticking to the ground. So I would vote for Tom's dual suspension mountain bike. Hopefully he can lock it out, that that would be the best choice. At 11 miles, it's just going to be a good workout, and that's fine. <laughs> that's for sure. We're, we're replacing the gym here, so it'll take a little longer, and, and that's okay. You're more likely to stay upright. Now, with the dual suspension bike, there's a lot of moving parts on the bike that could get creaky. It might end up wearing on the bike. So depending on how much you really care about this bike, it this would be a good reason to get, say, a cheap fat bike or or just a, a an inexpensive hardtail mountain bike. Something where uh, just sometimes it hasn't cost you a lot of money that you're going to run it through all the conditions, all the salt and everything else of winter. And you might have to do a full parts replacement in the spring. So cheap parts. You you want parts you're going to be able to replace because you'll wear them out. Uh, so you want to have the most number of metal studs on the ground. You want high quality tires that have a supple rubber because that helps the tire stick to the ground. Something that's not important with winter bikes is weight. So your bike can be super heavy. That's fine. You get a better, better exercise. It's slower. All of those things are just fine. But a lighter studded tire is going to be better with traction. So that's the contradiction in terms there. The light, light studded tire is something and typically more expensive you will end up with the better experience and it's entirely worth it again for safety reasons. If once you get your studs on your bike, you do want to run your studs on dry pavement for 20 to 30 miles to seat the studs in the tires because the factories that create studded tires don't really have the ability to push the studs in as well as they should be able to. So you want to you want to run those tires some before you get them out on say snowy trails that typically doesn't yeah they're not fully seated not really no now it depends which studded tires we're talking about uh 45 north definitely go out and run them 
and run them mm-hmm. at low pressure too. The lower the pressure you can, it helps the studs hit the ground directly and get sure. pushed in instead of makes sense. It, popping out. Right. And you will lose studs, all that stuff, but that's okay. Um, now, tire pressure that you want to run is higher because it's colder. One, you're inflating your tires inside, so it's warm. Say it's 70 degrees where you're putting the air into your bike. Now you're going outside and it's dropping to 20 degrees. So that's going to lower your air pressure and you don't want your air pressure to be too low. Your studs are going to better contact the ground with higher pressures. So you want to be sure to have higher pressure. So we always recommend 10 to 20 percent over where you typically would run your tire pressure. Set your tires to that before leaving your house. Now, there are some studded tires that have the studs on the outside and not on the on the inside of the tread. So if they're on the outside, you have to lower the pressure in order to get those studs to contact the ground. (laughs) So do be aware of that, that some tires really do want you to take the tire pressure out to get those studs to contact. Um, But if possible, try to get the ones with studs on the inside of the tires as well. So basically all over the tire is where you want studs. So if you're cornering, you've got studs. And if when you're rolling straight ahead, you have studs on the ground digging into the ice. So now tubeless. Tubeless has been a really big conversation. Maybe this is something we can talk about more later because it's such a big conversation. It's so many people are going tubelessly. There is sealant that's made for lower temperatures. So like orange seal has sealant for low temperatures. That's and they make te- uh, sealant for like Alaska cold. So be aware of that. Uh, stands has their race sealant that's made for colder, colder temperatures, different than the typical stand sealant that's used, say, the rest of the year. So it's good to use the right sealant if you're using sealant. It may not be worth going tubelessly, though, because if you have a problem, it could be a really big problem. And a flat tire or any kind of issues with your tires when it's really cold out is going to be very hard to deal with. You don't have the use of your fingers. You're freezing. You just can't sit there for very long to fix a problem. And, uh, you know, like tubeless is perfect until it's not. The thing is, (laughs) tubeless is really great. And then when you have a problem, it's going to take longer to fix it. It's going to be messier. And you just might not have the the time because you're going to freeze before getting whatever it is fixed. So tubes could be a better option for the winter. Again, you're using tires that are tough. They're heavy. So having something penetrate that tire to flat you is less likely to happen in the winter. And you're running high enough pressure. So hopefully you're not going to be pinch flatting in a in a pothole or anything like that. That being said, it's going to be harder to see potholes, so you could cause yourself pinch flats that way. So it's all important to to consider. And then all of the other parts on your bike, wheels, get tough, heavy, inexpensive wheels. You're going to trash them. It's going to be really hard to have your wheels working very nicely in the springtime. Sealed bearings are important. Uh, Sealed bearings everywhere on your bike are all important. But if you can just use wheels that you're not going to be super upset about, if they're no longer great in the spring, that's that's a good choice. On brakes, hydraulic disc brakes are very, very helpful. Basically, rim brake bikes are the braking power is very low. It's going to be harder to to stop. And that's another point for Tom. He has a rim brake bike. I believe his cross bike is rim brake versus the mountain bike, which would be disc. So you've got a lot of weather, you've got a lot of ice on the rims, potentially. So hydraulic disc brakes, important. And then the hydraulics specifically, it's a closed system so that water can't get into the brake line. Cable actuated disc brakes, I really like them. I think they're a lot better than people make them out to be. Um, But in the wintertime, water can get into the line and freeze. And when the water gets in there and freezes, you no longer have a brake. So that's important. Now, let's say you have a bike. You know, you're not going to go out and get a new bike for your winter riding. 
that's that's fine. You want to make sure there's no water in your cable housing going into the winter. And you want to pack some heavy lube in the ends where water could come in. That will help keep water out. And then when you clean your bike, which is something you should do regularly, don't use a hose. Use like just a water bottle. Get rid of the salt. You want to wash the salt off your bike. But trying to do it such that you're not introducing water anywhere into your system, that's very helpful. And then it's a really good idea to use mountain bike pedals and, and, and not any kind of road shoes or pedals because if you're stepping down, you really don't want to slide. You <laughs> probably find that you want to use boots. We've talked about that before. That will keep your feet warm. And it's just it's just safer if you have to walk anywhere. Uh, you have the proper proper attire. So these are all things to consider. Something else that is very silly, and road riders especially are bad about this. You know those little this stem valve cover. Mm-hmm. It's a little black thing that comes yep. that on I throw the away end. immediately. Yes, exactly. You're that guy. <laughs> yep, I am that guy. <laughs> As are most road riders, that little black valve stem cover gets tossed, except that in the wintertime, that's helping keep your valve clean. In the winter, you're going to find that that valve will often become corroded to the valve stem itself. And then when you can't open it, what ends up happening is the whole valve core pops out when you go to open it. That pops out and now you can't get air into your tire. You're really in trouble. So now you've pretty much need a new tube and you can carry around a, a, a valve core tool with you which i do but most people don't have that on them mm-hmm. so just use your little black valve cap cover valve stem cover in the winter to prevent that problem huh. okay. and i am speaking from experience that has happened <laughs> that's all it takes right <laughs> right exactly you do that once and you start realizing how how sad it is when you're like, oh, I just was going to top that off with five pounds of pressure, and now I have no air in my tires. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> um, so then your bike maintenance. I mentioned the heavy lube that you want to get on, on the, the housing if you have that. Heavy lube anywhere on any moving parts, like in, say, you have rim brake calipers. Put heavy lube where the, the you know, the post mounts are going into your frame, your fork, just anywhere that water can get in and, and cause rusting or corrosion and have anything seized to anything else. You might as well put some heavy lube in there. Uh, you, you don't want to use heavy lube on, say, your chain. There are heavier chain lubes. But when you use those, you want to make sure to clean them off on the outside because your chain will attract dirt. And when your chain is dirty, it wears, it wears your cassette. And then you're you're in trouble there. You want to keep your chain clean and oiled. If you use a chain loop that cleans your chain and oils it all at the same time, that's great. But that's one less thing to worry about. And then the chain loop will chase out the water from the chain. It loops the chain. And then again, use a rag. You want to dry it off and you want to get that lube off of there. And that's pretty much what you need to worry about. So washing off the salt, washing on. I mean, really, you don't have to have your frame clean as it's nice to have a frame clean for safety, making sure you don't see any cracks, that sort of stuff. Like in a bigger sense, it's nice to have a clean bike. But for winter, you're commuting every day. Just once in the evening, you get home, clean off that chain. It got gross that day. Um, And then that's that's it. Just get that salt off and then it will be good for you the next day. If you can avoid having a bike with a press fit bottom bracket, that's great. Those don't <laughs> do so well in the winter or really pretty much any time there's dirt introduced into the system, dirt or wet. So just a standard thread at a bottom bracket will treat you better and hopefully not have as many creaks and everything else associated with it. So there's a few things to be thinking about. I certainly welcome questions and I mean, this this conversation is is really long. It's wonderful. It's great to think about. There is nothing better to me than commuting in the morning. Like when you can 
get ready when it's inside you're inside you're in your warm home you're in your warm clothes you step outside you get on your bike in about five minutes you're warm from riding and and it's just pleasant it's just very nice warming up a car on a cold day is one of the most miserable things you could do in my opinion so i'd much rather get ready in the warmth of your home and then and then just have a really nice commute to work and hopefully you've got a hot shower or something to look forward to once you get to work mm. yeah that would what be do you nice think? do you have any other suggestions you might add well you know the one one thing i wanted to ask you a question so years and years ago when i was still living in new england and i was doing cyclocross racing and doing neutral support in cross races one of the things that we did to make sure that people could always clip into their pedals and so that they didn't get uh, overly uh, mucked up with mud, you know, loaded up with with mud, uh, was to spray prior to the race, spray the pedals with Pam and then spray the cleat with Pam as all, as well. Is that still like a popular thing to do or is there something even better than that for, you know, I mean, because it would prevent the cleat from freezing to the pedal. Um, it kept the, it kept uh, ice from building up on the cleat. Uh, it was a really handy thing, but I mean, it's only been 20 some years since I was racing cross in New England. I can't imagine that maybe somebody's come up with something better. That is a great question i think that's a really good comment and something for people to consider doing i have not ever used that and i didn't know of that as being a a thing to do oh so i yeah that sounds that sounds great in fact i was listening to another podcast and they mentioned using that trick on the frame so it it sounds like it is something that's being done currently i just hadn't considered it for, yeah, as for a matter of fact, I, I recall on occasion, uh, you know, a super muddy race, uh, spraying the cantilevers themselves, not the brake shoes, keeping the brake shoes mm. clean, but spraying the cantilevers themselves uh, with Pam, um, spraying the pivots and the levers, mm. uh, all sorts of stuff that might potentially seize up through the course of a completely frozen race. Mm-hmm. Um Pam's remarkable stuff. I mean, I don't think it's all that great to cook with, but it, you know. <laughs> this is its every- perfect application. I had no idea. It has a place in the cycling world. <laughs> it's still worthwhile. Every yeah. single mechanic I knew who did neutral support in cross races in New England had a can of Pam in their toolbox. Nice. Yep. Yeah. That sounds great. So Now, the mechanics are also using power washers for pressure spray on those bikes in order to get them clean really fast. So well, we we're probably weren't. adding it I mean, and it's, it's being washed off as quickly. So <laughs> yeah, I mean like the big teams certainly do that, but you know, when I was doing that, nobody had a power washer like that, you know, uh, finding, <laughs> finding running water on a day like that was not even a thing. So it was just a, ma- a matter of trying to keep ice from building up. And yeah, Pam yeah. was, was handy, but it was, it was the most useful spot for it was on the pedals and the cleats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The funny thing is early in the race, after like your first dismount, uh, there was a, a fair chance of a foot sliding off the pedal because everything was so slick. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> right, the ice or the pan that you're sliding because of, right? <laughs> oh, it was the pan totes. <laughs> um, That's yeah. funny. Well, I'm going to have to try it. I will report back. After yeah, giving that a shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm glad that I don't have to wor- worry about things like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Dialing it, dialing in a winter setup is a lot of fun. I think it's really enjoyable to, to get it right because every time you try something new and you, you're figuring out what works, it gets more comfortable. It gets easier. It's more fun uh, for someone who's, commuting in the winter it's great because this person's getting lots of practice like five days a week that's terrific you have mm-hmm. all sorts mm-hmm. of opportunities for really getting this right and getting good at it and and finding it something to look forward to yeah i think the thing for me that i most enjoyed about winter riding or just winter activity in general was nailing my apparel for mm-hmm. the particular day nailing apparel for the conditions and i'm just re- I'm being reminded now, one of the things that I did 
uh, because I didn't have winter riding boots. Uh, I just had cycling shoes. Um, I had some short gaiters from Patagonia. So they came kind of high up on my ankle, but not like all the way up over my calf. And because I'd bought those for uh, Nordic skiing to add a little more extra uh, protection there, those things were actually super, super helpful uh, with my cycling shoes because mm-hmm. mountain bike shoes, I couldn't wear booties. Yep. And so I'd put on the thickest sock I could, but beyond that, uh, gaiters were a thing that really helped me. I remember now. Yep. I've got some gaiters here also for when it's precipitating. Yeah. Mm. Keeping, keeping snow and anything or yeah, you're again, you're commuting and you have cars splashing you. I mean that from going into your socks. Yeah. Really, yeah. really nice. Having, there's nothing worse, I think, than feeling water, cold water, dripping into your feet. <laughs> uh, it's it's not on my list of greatest hits, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> as much as you can avoid yeah. that, do that. Yeah. All righty. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back in just a minute. The Pace Line is brought to you by The Cycling Independent. We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for my poll. So as you mentioned, it's Thanksgiving this week, and I've been giving thought to what I'm grateful for. And Thanksgiving is one of my very favorite holidays because I've come to appreciate how helpful and healthy it is to have a regular practice of gratitude. I like to challenge myself each Thanksgiving by thinking about something that's really present tense in my life, something current beyond the obvious, you know, the obvious being my boys. Of course, I'm grateful for my boys. I'm grateful that I'm healthy, that I've got a roof over my head, that I have bikes to ride. I have friends who are sane. My mother and father are both still alive. And I live in a place where I love the riding. It's a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good life. Um, What I recently realized, though, in looking at Strava is that this is very possibly the first year ever, or at least since certainly 1996, that I rode mountain bikes more than road bikes. Not mileage, but hours. So when I look at the number of hours I've ridden this year, just a little more than 50% has been uh, on bikes with a flat bar. What I'm grateful for isn't that I rode a mountain bike more than a road bike. That's not actually anything to be excited about. Getting out and riding plenty is certainly something to be grateful for. Okay. But the thing that I realized is that I was able to ride more than I would have otherwise this year because of the mountain bike. I've shared previously that I've got spinal stenosis, some degeneration of of discs in my neck. Uh, It was a big concern for me going into dirty Kansas last year. And so listeners of ours may recall me talking about all the PT I did. But, you know, uh, we've got this little pandemic thingy going and PT isn't something that's happening in quite the way it used to. Uh, I, you know, and honestly, I think the only way you get PT is if they're looking at you like post-surgery or something. It's like, we got to get them in there for somebody like me, where it's a quality of life issue. It's like, go away, kid, get out of here. So my neck has been fussy uh, in doing longer rides on the road bike. In riding the mountain bike, however, the change in position from drop bar to flat bar allows me to ride longer and ride more frequently. It's not just the flat bar, though. Mountain biking in general is more dynamic. You know, I move around more on the bike and I also stop more 
And every time I stop, I get a chance to sit up and relax my neck and shoulders, taking that pressure off. The upshot here that I realized, you know, looking at the calendar is that I've ridden loads this year and I've experienced less time in pain than I have since the early 2000s. So when I think about what that does in terms of not walking around on a day to day basis with pain in my uh, shoulder, it's like, you know, wow, that's. That's a really refreshing change. Um, I've been, I've got CBD creams. I've got a lidocaine cream. I've got all sorts of stuff to help with the nerve pain. And I have barely used any of them in months. And I, you know, I look at it and it's neat stuff and I like using it when I need it, but it's better when I don't need it at all. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And then to be honest, mountain biking has given me something else. It has given me a way to continue to grow as a writer. I've been working on my skills with some, I think I get to call it diligence. Uh, You know, sometimes there's a spot that I'll go and session repeatedly if it's really difficult uh, or try to take different lines through rock gardens that have slowed me to a crawl previously. Um, I've changed the way I descend so that I can change direction more quickly and break less. So when I'm getting through, uh, getting through a really section of windy trail, uh, I'm moving through that stuff faster. All of that has increased my time and flow and my enjoyment of riding overall. So when I look back on this year, it's been a really, really good year for my riding once I, you know, now that I think about it, uh, but it, it really took looking at that to realize just how great it's been. You know, and I mean, that's despite the fact that I haven't been doing any events, uh, not since uh, I think it was like February 28th or 29th was the last time I did an event, you know, and I'm not really riding with friends to the same degree. Uh, You know, all that's just been blown to hell by the pandemic. Uh, But to be able to kind of sit up and look around and say, you know, despite the pandemic, I'm doing awfully well. And that's just. Right there. That is so much to be grateful for. Okay. So, yay, Thanksgiving. You know, I mean, because that's what compelled me to think about this and to take stock. Yeah. No, that's great. It's good to take a step back and think about those things. You've grown mm-hmm. as a writer and there are a lot of silver linings that have come out of the pandemic. Certainly, we've seen a lot of people have come to cycling, just come to cycling as a result. Of yeah, the pandemic, but also now for more seasoned riders such as yourself, trying new things, learning to ride alone. That's something that I've done a lot more because mm. in the past I only ever did group rides since I've lived back east because the way I came into the cycling community here included group rides. Uh-huh. I found that I never went out by myself. So I discovered what it is to go by myself being completely well now using camelback and having to take all this water (laughs) because Uh you're not going to stop on a six hour, eight hour, well not, not stop, but not stop at a gas station for a six to eight hour ride or something like that. Like that's something different. It it's a new aspect of, Mm -hmm. of riding. So, and that's really neat to hear that about mountain biking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I knew I'd been having a lot of fun, but I really hadn't, you know, kind of analyzed it to some degree. And I, I don't want to say I'm overly analytical about it, but I've been giving it some thought. And, uh, you know, on my way back uh, from my ride on Saturday, I took this one trail and there's a log that's down that there's a, a go around. We use it on our dirt crits course in the summer when we have the dirt crits, unlike this year, <laughs> moving right along. Uh <laughs> But for a long time, I was I was not willing to to jump that log. Something about the landing from it, it just the way the ground fell away. It you know I was just not quite comfortable with it. And finally, yeah, uh, a month or so ago, I went I went there and I looked at it and I walked around and it's like you do stuff that's way bigger than this all the time. <laughs> and so I I you know I stayed there and I kept looking at it and, you know, I 
eventually rolled up it and went off it slowly, you know, kind of gingerly, and then kept picking up uh, speed with each uh, successive pass. And now, you know, I roll into that section and I'm accelerating through the portion of the trail that I can. And then I line up for it and I don't give it any thought anymore. And it's like, that is just so nice. It's such a welcome change. And, you know, then let's talk about the benefit that comes with increased confidence. Yes, right. You know, it makes all of your riding better. Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. You're not yeah. overthinking it too much. That's a lot of, in so many ways, that's a lot of what keeps all, us all back from something. Oh, yeah. Associated with cycling. Yeah. Like that ride sounds scary. I don't know if I want to go with that group because I don't know if I'll be fast enough. So you don't leave your front door instead of approach that log or approach that group when the group comes back or yeah. Yep. And then you grow and then you feel good about yourself and then you go do other crazy things. But, you know, don't go jumping off of cliffs or. There's plenty of other things that that I'm sure you're going to start getting excited to do. And and at some point, your shoulder pain might start coming back if you start doing those big, big features. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. You know, (laughs) things things are going well. So, you know, yay, Thanksgiving. Yeah. And uh, I'll have my boys for Thanksgiving dinner on Wednesday. They'll be with their mom on Thursday. And uh I've I've kind of got our meal planned out. Uh, I will go out and buy Whole Foods here. I suppose they do it everywhere, but Whole Foods here does these chur- turkey pot pies mm. that are to die for. Oh, this is good to know about. Yeah, well, you know, little boys can be picky in their diet. No, I, like I've got one kid who who says ketchup is too spicy. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. Uh-huh. So finding things that they'll go for, you know, can be a challenge. And what I'm thankful for? Well, I am thankful for the Whole Foods turkey pot pie. Nice. <laughs> Thank you, Whole Foods. Yeah. All righty. Well, let's move on to the Paceline Picks. What do you have this week? Excellent. Well, this week I've chosen the Scratch Labs Sport Recovery Drink Mix, the Orchata flavor. This was recommended uh-huh. by a Paceline listener, so thank you. It's, it's, again, great to get this feedback from those of you out there. We had presented the question of things you like to drink on the bike, so she wrote in response to that. Uh, I have not tried this myself, so if you go out there and hate the flavor, I haven't tasted it, but I know I love horchata. We had a barista um, who worked at the studio prior to the pandemic who had come up with a wonderful horchata recipe. So it's very, it's tasty. It's got cinnamon in it. It tastes like rice pudding. So assuming Scratch Labs has mimicked that, it sounds very heartwarming to have at the end of a ride. Something that's nice about the Scratch Labs recovery drink mixes in general is they have the what's considered the proper ratio of carbs to protein, like five grams of carbohydrate to one gram of protein. Um, they use uh, milk protein and and whey in there to offer the protein that goes right into your system. Of course, this is not not great for, uh, say, if you're a vegan cyclist. But it's easy. It's it, you just put it in water shake it up and go. And then you're done. At the end of a ride, you're really tired. You're, you may not want to prepare a meal quickly enough to get those the, the proper carbs and protein into your system to help your body start to recover. And then it, it's warm. It makes you feel good. It's something to look forward to at the end of your ride. It's, that's nice. And another thing you can think about is if you just want to heat up chocolate milk and have that already in a thermos. Say you take it out to the trail. As long as you have a good thermos, it's still going to be hot at the end of your ride. So that's also there for you. So scratch, great. It's very convenient. RNA mixed, good to go. And then hot chocolate, if uh, chocolate milk, you want that as a something for recovery, but anything that's warm, that makes you feel good, that encourages you to ride at this point, Take it. If that's going to be what gets you out to ride, wonderful. Like treat yourself yeah. well during the cold season that you just did a bike ride. 
appreciate that and treat yourself well as a result. So that's <laughs> that's my pick. Patrick, what about yours? Right. Well, I've been wearing some new road helmets least, uh, recently. Uh, new to me, anyway. Uh, Limar is making a big push into the U.S. after several years of kind of poor availability. Uh, a big part of what I dig about these helmets is that they begin with a designer using more tr- traditional methods. That, that is like clay, you know, beginning with a clay form and actually carving that by hand, you know, uh, work done by a human being. It's one of the reasons that the helmets all have a, a reasonably organic look. Um, so I've been wearing three of their helmets. I think they've got like five. Uh, there's the Air Speed, the Air Master, and the Air Pro Mips. The Airspeed is a classic aero helmet with a smooth form and few vents, some vents, but few. Um, it's enough that it's got to be a very hot day before the helmet becomes an issue, like north of 90 degrees. Um, the Air Master is the midpoint between a more traditional helmet and an aero one. So it's quick. Uh, but you can wear it, uh, you know, in temperatures that are triple digits. Uh, it's got more vents than the air speed. Um, so, yeah, it it splits the divide some. The Air Pro is a very sharp take on a well-ventilated helmet. It's got this carbon fiber rib running across the top that helps to give it strength. OK, uh, but it also reduces mass and weight. The upshot is that a bee could fly in and through this helmet and you might never notice it. Let's, That's how well ventilated. Let's yeah. hope you wouldn't notice it. <laughs> Fair point. Yes. Um, so it's it's got the next generation of MIPS. And this is another reason why it's so well ventilated. Um, this new generation of MIPS actually uses uh, the helmet pads rather than the, the plastic insert. And so the helmet uh, the way the helmet pads are secured to the helmet allow them to shift and move on your head. So if you have uh, some sort of rolling blow as you fall, uh, the helmet can shift some on your head. Um, it's it's one of the better ventilated helmets I've worn in quite a while. And that's you know due in some part to the carbon fiber and some part to this new generation of MIPS. I really like this helmet a whole lot. Um, and something I found out going to the site today uh, to get a, a link for the show notes, uh, I didn't realize, but, and I suspect this is for the holidays, uh, all the helmets have been reduced in price. So what were already good values are now what I'll call mm, impressive values. So the Air Master, this is the split between super aero and, and more traditional. That's down from $150 to $105. Oh. The Air Speed has dropped from $170 to $136. And the Air Pro MIPS is down from $230 to $195. Uh, so, you know, really great values there on these three helmets. Um, I just reviewed them for the Cycling Independent. So in our show notes, I'll include a link uh, to that review as well. So it sounds like these are currently available based on what oh, yeah. you're seeing. That Yeah, yeah. And they've got uh, much better uh, distribution now. You can order them uh, directly from their website uh, if your dealer isn't carrying them. So I just I love that the, the value is so high and. Uh, the helmets, I can't put something ugly on my head. I can't do it. I can't do it. Yep. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of not attractive helmets out there. Right, right. And I like all three of these. The, I will say the air pro mips is my favorite of the bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the helmet I find myself reaching for when I go out, uh, for my afternoon rides, uh, road rides. Yeah. Nice. That's great to know about those. Yeah. All righty. Well, we've got Thanksgiving weekend coming up. Are you going to be getting in some extra rides this weekend, Patria? Well, considering it's supposed to be raining on Thanksgiving and that's oh, technically right. my day <laughs> off, we we will see. I'm trying not to go into the weekend with any particular expectations. And I'm sure I'll sneak in a couple rides here or there. And we'll we'll just see it. It definitely has a lot to do with 
weather corresponding with not having demo writers going out. I'm dealing with a lot of demo writers right now, and it's terrific to see people really wanting to get out there and still very excited about winter bikes. And a lot of people are playing their spring bikes right now. So my schedule is very much based on when people want to be demo riding. And that often corresponds with when I should technically be out riding myself. So again, night riding is it's it's always my go to when I can't get a ride in during the day. I get out there at night and I'm okay. It's it really makes everything just wonderful. And then what about you? Any special ride plans? So uh, I'm I'm around here on Thursday, Thanksgiving. I haven't quite decided what ride I'm going to do. I will ride in the morning because, you know, you got to get your your appetite going right. (laughs) I might go down to Marin County for the appetite seminar, which has been going on for something like 40 ish years. Uh, oh, do tell more but, about that. I've never heard of that. Oh, that's uh, an, an OG Marin County mountain bike thing that is, I mean, among among traditions uh, in Thanksgiving rides, that one, uh, that's the granddaddy of them all. And it's a chance to like see some of the real luminaries uh, from the Marin mountain biking scene from back in the 1980s. Uh, some of those cats still show up. Uh, so I haven't done that in a few years, so maybe I go down there, but the thing I'm really wondering about is, uh, Friday and Saturday, I'm contemplating the possibility of going up to Mendocino and doing a couple rides in, uh, the Jackson demo forest up there and, uh, riding someplace different for a little while. I could maybe get a motel room for Friday night. Crazy. So this would be a small subset of the vacation you've been thinking about for months now. Yeah, this is this would be a getaway while no one misses me. Those are nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Exactly. You could sneak that in there. No one will be the wiser. You know, go out for a couple of five hour rides and then drive home and collapse and, you know, welcome the boys home. (laughs) That sounds that sounds really great. Yeah. All righty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of The Pace Line. Everybody, keep the questions coming. You're sending us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Patria Vandermark. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.